I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In this episode, we're discussing how to get to your first 100K and why it's actually the hardest and takes the longest. But once you reach your first 100K, it gets so much easier to build wealth. Let's go. Hey friends, this is Queenie and Pablo and welcome back to another episode. But before we get into it, Pablo, what's your money win? Money win? Well, you know, last time that we chatted, like I did not get the surfboard, but this time I found a new one actually that was cheaper and I was even able to negotiate it to a better price. So not only the first one that I got rejected, like that the person did not sell it, I already saved money on that to not buy it, but now I found an even cheaper one that I was able to negotiate. So that's a big money win for me. Yay, that's awesome. And love how you are shopping on Marketplace because it's more sustainable too and cheaper as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, this person was going to Bali. They were selling their boat. They were like literally a week to sell it. So that's why I was able to get a better price. That's so good. Nice. Yeah. What about you, Connie? What's your money win? My money win is that I'm hosting a clothes swap with my friends and we're going to swap clothes that we no longer wear and save some money and also more environmentally sustainable as well, which is good. Yeah, that's very cool. Can you see what you find? Yeah, I'm so excited. And an update on our small change portfolio, we are now at $350.34, which is really cool. So make sure you follow along the podcast so that you can see how this small change portfolio grows over time. Yeah. And for those who don't know what the small change portfolio is, do you want to explain it? Yeah. So we decided to set up a small change portfolio just with little bits of money here and there that we either save money or maybe we randomly sell something. We put half of it in an investment account and half of it we put it in a bank account that we can either spend or gift or do whatever we like with. So we want to just show that you don't need heaps of money to start investing. You can start small by just selling things that you no longer use and using that to build a portfolio. Yeah, you don't need much. You know, it just grow and grow and grow. And today we're going to go through some interesting numbers on how much 100k is, you know, compared to a million. And that's really interesting. Yeah, I'm so excited. It is important to note that this podcast is general in nature, and it doesn't constitute personal financial advice. You can read my full financial services guide in my description. We would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of our land. And we extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. We celebrate and respect the diversity of our communities. So there's this famous quote, by a person called Charlie Munger. And it's about the first 100K and why it's the hardest. The quote goes something like this. The first 100K is a beep, (laughs) but you gotta do it. I don't care what you have to do if it means walking everywhere and not eating anything that wasn't purchased with a coupon. Find a way to get your hands on 100K. After that, you can ease off the gas a little bit. What do you think of this quote, Pablo? Yeah, it's very true, you know, but it's hard to put it into perspective. So do you have any example of why is it like easier moving forward? Yeah, I've got some really, really interesting stats. 
Did you know that once you reach your first 100K, you're actually one third of the way to a million dollars? One third? Are you sure it was the maths, Kuni? <laughs> yes, I am. But let me explain. If you invest $100 a week with an 8% return, it will take you 12 years to reach 100K. But to go from 100K to 200K, it would only take you six years. And to go from 900K to a million, it would only take you one year. How does it work? The reason why is because of compound interest. The first 100K is always the hardest and it always takes the longest. But once you reach your first $100,000, it gets so much easier because it gets easier to make more money as you have more money invested. For example, in the first year, you would only make around $400 in interest, but in the last year, leading up to that $1 million, you would make $70,000 in interest. Wow, that's a big difference, you know, and the same yeah, like seven, 12 months, right? But because you have so much money, I guess you can make like so much more in interest. And there's this really cool thing that you can check out called the compound interest calculator. And I just love this because it really does demonstrate what this actually means and you can easily visualize it. So basically, as you can see, if you are investing your money regularly, it's not a linear progression. It's more like an exponential progression. And that's why it gets easier to build wealth as you have more money invested, because essentially your money just makes more money over time. And that's why even though you're not investing more money every single year, because you have more money that's already been invested, it becomes way easier to build wealth. Wow, that's really impressive. Yeah, exponential. I think that's what the key word we need to remember here is not linear. You know, as you know, it's like the snowball effect. You push the small snowball and then a year later it's a bigger one. But you push the same. You exactly. Know, and it becomes bigger and bigger. And by the thirtieth year or thirty sixth, I think then you get your million. And there's this really, really cool spreadsheet that Pablo has done and it actually breaks down the first 100K, if you are investing $100 per week with an 8% return, how many years or what percentage it would take you to get to a million dollars? And it's super, super interesting. So what I love about this spreadsheet is it shows you that at your first $100,000, you're already 33% of the way to a million dollars. And at your next $100,000, so at $200,000, you're already halfway to a million dollars. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's like mind-blowing, I think. It really is. And once you pass $500,000, you're already over 70% of the way to a million dollars. So I think it's really motivating and it really shows that it gets so much easier to build wealth once you pass that hurdle of getting to your first $100,000. So we're going to show you and share some tips with you about how you can overcome this hurdle get to your first $100,000. So then, like Charlie Munger said, you can ease off the gas a little bit. Yeah, and for those who are interested to get this spreadsheet, we'll put a link below so you can look exactly at the numbers and recreate it for yourself or just so you know what, what it looks like. And if you would like to calculate your own net worth, I've created a completely free net worth tracker, which you can check out in my bio. Nice. So while people are downloading or checking out this network tracker and still listening to the podcast, what are some ways that people can get to their first 100,000? So I think the first step before you do anything is to start setting some goals. Because what is the point in trying to build wealth if you, if you have nothing to strive for, if there's no point really? So I would say set some goals, set some milestones. Why do you want to get to your first $100,000? Do you want to buy your first property? Do you want to be able to go on a nice overseas trip somewhere? 
The possibilities are endless. I think it's really important to just set some goals into why you're looking to build wealth in the first place, and that can really start to motivate you. Yeah, and I was actually just reading that on Google that you know that 43% of people that set some goals are more likely to achieve them. Ah, that's really interesting. That's a lot of people. So, you know, having a goal for us, for example, it was setting up or buying our first property. And it was how we will get there is by saving 100000 and then we will get our property. So that was really the motivation. And then every day we will think about how will we get to this 100000 And we're just reminded we want to buy the property. We will get there. And then it just naturally all the things that we do, saving money and the things that we're going to talk about in this podcast, they are all part of this 100K and we always be reminded of this. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So set some goals and something that we also like to do is to set 90-day goals because I feel like setting yearly goals is good, but I don't know about you, but definitely for me, whenever I set New Year's resolutions, sometimes I set them at the beginning of the year and then maybe three months in or six months in, I completely forgot about the goals that I set at the beginning of the year and maybe some of those goals aren't even relevant anymore. So what Pablo and I like to do now is we set 90-day goals. So we kind of do like a bit of a sprint for 90 days where like we set some really good goals, maybe one or two goals that we really, really, really want to hit. And then after that 90 days is up, we're able to achieve those goals. And the good thing is if you set 90-day goals, that means that you can achieve four times as many goals as if you set just a couple of goals for your New Year's resolution. Because as you know, one year is made up of four 90-day periods. <laughs> I hope that makes sense. So if you set some goals every 90 days, you can essentially achieve four times as many goals in a year as if you just set goals at the beginning of the year. But this much, they don't camp on? It's not like the camp on interest? No, I don't think so. Well, maybe it kind of does. Maybe I think once does. you're on a roll, it compounds maybe probably. Maybe it even does because, you know, like let's say you set up the goal of having one property. I mean, obviously, <laughs> you're not going to get there 90 days potentially. You know, it's going to take a bit longer. But then if you achieve that goal before, then you can invest earlier and more money. And then this is going to campaign faster than if you buy your property maybe a year down the track or two years or three years because you set yearly goals. And I think what I love about 90 days is it's still a decent amount of time to get stuff done. Like I know you could set daily goals, but let's be real. Like I, I don't know how you can achieve like really big things in one day. It's really difficult, but 90 days, that gives you a bit of leeway to actually get stuff done. And even if you procrastinate for the first month, it's okay because you still have two more months to achieve your 90 day goal. Yeah. And there is this really cool quote from Bill Gates who says, people overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10 years. And that's very really interesting because you can do so much in 10 years and you can do so much in 90 days as well because sky's the limit really. Yeah, exactly. It's like that compounding effect that we spoke about earlier. It's, it's everywhere. To start. It's everywhere. Cool. I love it. And what is the next point? What do people do after they set up those goals? Yes. Okay. This is one of my favorite things to do because I think it's really, really important. Create a budget and... I think the way that you can start doing this is by reviewing your expenses every single month, categorizing them, looking at what you actually spend money on, bring out all of your bank statements, all of your credit card statements, look line by line on where your money is actually going. And it's actually really fascinating. To be honest, it's not very pleasant a lot of the time because you start to realize how 
all of those tiny, tiny little insignificant expenses that you think didn't really mean anything, all of those tiny, tiny expenses, they really do add up. And sometimes they can add up to a lot of money. It is really, really confronting doing a budget, but I think it is so important to actually look at where your money is going and then find ways that you can create less waste. And I'm not saying don't spend any money on things you enjoy. I'm saying keep spending money on things that you enjoy. Spend more money, if anything, on things that you enjoy, but try to reduce your spend on the things that you don't enjoy and the things that don't bring you value. And we can also get into the the next couple of points we'll show you exactly what you can do and which expenses in particular you should be looking at and trying to find ways that you can save on. Yeah, for sure. I think budget is really important, but not just creating a budget because I feel like when you create a budget, it's like world apart, like your ideal budget is world apart, your real actual budget. And creating is good, but reviewing and then based on actual numbers and values, then checking it and then going from there to the ideal budget. And that's, I think, the most important thing. Yeah, exactly. And are there any things, Pablo, that you saw in your budget that you're spending a lot of money on that that wasn't really bringing you value, that you've now changed your behavior and you're not spending as much money on those things? Recently, not so much, but back like maybe a year ago or something, I was doing a lot of online purchases. And then that was one thing that I wasn't really valuing. And then after looking at the budget with you, then I started cutting on those. Mm. Do you have any examples? Just random stuff like, you know, for kitchen gadgets, or you know, improving the home that wasn't really useful at the end of the day. Mm, yeah. So like you said, you know, they were like not very big expenses, like maybe under $50 for each purchases, but then it all adds up. Yeah, that's very, very true. I think for me, what I realized was I was going out with my friends, going out with the girls on the weekend, which is great because I love doing that. I love seeing my friends. I love going out to eat with them, going out for drinks. But some nights I would spend so much money without even thinking, you know? So I remember there was this one night, I couldn't believe that I spent $250 on drinks just in one night. And that honestly shocked me. And Honestly, when I got home, I was like, that did not feel like a $250 night. Like we did not go anywhere crazy. We, we just went to like pubs and I was like, how did I spend that much money? And it's actually pretty wild once you start to look at it because nowadays it's not that I feel bad about spending that money. I feel like if I spent $250 and I got a lot of value, like maybe going to an event or going to a con- there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Concert, like if I spent $250 there, I would be like, that is money well spent. I'm glad I did that. But because it wasn't a crazy night and I just spent that money, I, it, it kind of made me feel a bit, you know, had a bit of regret, but it also helps me move forward. So nowadays when I go out with my friends, I do have a limit. I have a budget and I'm like, okay, I'm going to spend this money guilt-free. I'm going to have fun, but I'm not going to overspend because I think there is a limit on like spending. Like sometimes if you spend more, it doesn't necessarily make you more happy. Like if I spent 
$100 that night instead of $250. I don't think I had heaps more fun by spending $150 more. So yeah, I think just things like that is really important. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what the danger of going out with like maybe a credit card or something because you don't see it coming. Or let's say you're going with $100 cash or $200 cash, then you can see it diminishing and you know exactly how much has been spent and what's left over. So it's much easier. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's a good way bringing some cash. So then you cannot spend more money, leaving all your cards at home. <laughs> exactly. Even your ID, so they don't let you in the bar. Yeah. Disabling all your Apple pay, <laughs> yeah. everything. Yeah. And we've done the same thing when we were in the US last uh, holiday, right? We started spending quite a bit of money like without looking at it. And then as soon as we looked at our budget, how much we want to spend in the whole holidays, and then also on the daily budget, what does it look like? And then we're more mindful of what we do for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah, because you can spend a lot of money without thinking it. And it doesn't sound like a lot, but $25 here, $50 there, it all adds up to quite a lot of money at the end of the day. And we still want you to enjoy money and, and have fun, but I think it's important just to consider, like, is it actually worth it? You know, could I spend less money and still have the same amount of fun? Probably, probably. Yeah, exactly. More money doesn't always mean more fun or you can still have fun, you know, without spending much money. Exactly, exactly. So if you're enjoying this podcast so far, don't forget to give us a follow and rate us five stars. Yeah, we really strive to make every podcast episode good value for you. And sitting there with you, Kuni, is a lot of fun and a lot of fun with more people even. Yeah, it sure is. It sure is. So what's the next point, Pablo? Well, you know, you talked about budgeting and how people can look at their expenses. But one thing that's very easy, I feel like to do and without really cutting any fun of the budget is saving on your biggest expenses like housing, transport, food. Exactly. So I know we spoke a little bit about those little miscellaneous purchases that we made that we cut from our budget. But if you really want to move the needle in your budget and spend a lot less money every single month, it's good to look at the big ones. And housing, transport and food, for most people, this would make up around 50 to 70% of your budget. So if you can reduce any one of these, even just a tiny fraction in your budget, you come out so much more ahead without even having to cut your entertainment budget, without having to cut going out with friends, buying a latte, uh, all of those things that make life worth living. If you can cut down on these big, big expenses, even just a tiny, tiny fraction, you'll you'll come out way ahead. Yeah, but for example, like we'll give a few tips, you know, housing, obviously you don't have to live in like a crappy place or, you know, staying with your parents, but, you know, just going into like looking at the suburb, maybe one suburb after where you live or one or two suburbs after. And then you're going to save already, you know, $50, $100 potentially a week on your rent. Yeah, exactly. Housing is a really big one. Something that really helped us get to our first $100,000 was living below our means, especially when it came to housing. So we did not live in the fancy trendy areas even though we probably wanted to, we didn't live there, but it enabled us to save so much money. And now we have a net worth, which has enabled us to actually be able to live where we want now because we were able to, I guess, make, make those trade-offs earlier in life. Yeah, for sure. I think that was really important to do that at the beginning, because like we saw with the numbers earlier in the podcast, is that the first 100,000 is the hardest. And if you do all these things at the beginning, 
then later on you don't have to be as hard on yourself, but you're going to still grow exponentially your wealth. And another one, transport. So this is a big one. And I think it's really important to review how much you're spending in transport. Think, consider, do you need a car? Or if you do need a car, do you need two cars if you're in a relationship or in a family? Or do you need three cars? I guess at, at the end of the day, one car is better than two cars. Two cars is better than three cars and so on. So just have a look at your budget, see what you actually need and see if there's any way that you can save money on transport. Yeah, or even like, you know, using public transport where you can instead of Ubers or like ride sharing apps, I think can be a good option to save on transport because like for us who are lucky living in Sydney that the public transport is pretty good and not too expensive and you know, we can get into the city in a couple of minutes. And if you are looking to buy a car, it's usually advisable to spend between 10 to 15% of your annual income on a car. So let's say, for example, you do have a car on a car loan, then it is advisable to keep this car loan cost between 10 to 15% of your annual income. So if you earn $60,000 a year, then you should try to keep your car expenses below $9,000 a year. Nice, really good numbers, really good numbers, Queenie. So now here are some few ways also people can save on food. I think for us when we go buy food, like we're trying to split into multiple supermarkets. You know, we'll go to the Asian grocer for Asian grocery, which will be much cheaper. Then we'll go to cheaper supermarkets to get like the everyday food. And then we'll go to the main supermarket to get the stuff that usually you cannot get anywhere else. So I think... Splitting those shopping can be a really good way to, you know, have the same food, but also save money here and there. And then that adds up because food can be expensive. It can be really expensive. So we were able to cut our food budget down by around $500 a month, which is just huge. And we honestly do not eat any worse than we did before. If not, we'd probably eat, eat even better because we're buying a lot less processed food. We are actually buying a lot more fruits and vegetables and we're eating a lot more vegetarian meals throughout the week, which does make me feel healthier. So we still have a couple of nights where we do eat meat, but we do like to eat more vegetarian meals and that helps us save a lot more money. So the next point, there's only so much that you can cut out of your budget. So the next point we wanted to discuss is negotiating a pay rise or switching jobs so then you can earn more money at the same job. Yeah. Uh, do you have any ways like people can compare themselves, like how much they earn versus the value? How do you do that? So something that I would do when I was looking to negotiate a pay rise is my first rule was I would not just go into the meeting and ambush my boss. I would prep them before. So a couple of months before I'm looking to ask for a pay rise, I would tell them, I would say, hey, look, I would like to get a pay rise. What can I do? That puts me in the best position to be able to get that pay rise or to get promoted. And then my boss would tell me. So I make sure I write down all of those things. I make sure that I'm doing all of those things. So the time that it actually rolls around to ask for that pay rise, I've done all the things, you know? So Really, there's no reason they could really say no, unless, of course, maybe the business isn't doing as well. But at least, you know, it's a good way to set yourself up to be in the best possible position to ask for a pay rise. Yeah. And now with inflation, right, if you're not making like, I think, 5% every year, like increasing your salary, you're actually losing money. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we don't want to be losing money. And there are some really, really crazy stats when it comes to getting promotions, switching jobs. So... New hires 
on average makes 7% more than existing employees doing the same job, which is crazy. And also people that job change more often end up making around 50% more over their lifetimes than people that stay put in the same job. So that's why it's really important to review your salary, ask for a pay rise if you haven't gotten one, and just just be aware of it, you know? It doesn't mean you have to change jobs every single year, not saying that, but yeah, I think it's just good to be aware of it, see what your options are. Yeah, and didn't you know a girl that applied for a job at the company she was working at? Yeah, yeah, this was really interesting. So I saw this, I think it was like a Twitter post or something, and basically this girl was working at this company And she was earning, I forgot exactly how much it was. I think it was like $80,000. And then she saw that the same company was advertising for a role, the same role as hers, for $30,000 difference. So $110,000. So what she did was she actually applied for that job and she got it. So she got that pay rise by applying for the job. But that just goes to show you, like, can you believe she was being underpaid by $30,000? And it's just wild, isn't it? Yeah, and I guess, you know, if you don't ask, you don't get. So I think being switched on to what's the market, right, and what's your value to each company where you work at is really important. Yeah, yeah. Because if you live on autopilot and then just do your job and then not take a step back and look at the big picture, then you're just going to, they're probably not going to be increasing your salary until you ask. Yeah, unfortunately, there are a lot of companies that do that. And they're probably even looking at some people working at the company thinking like, when is this person going to ask for a pay rise? Like, you know, they're probably thinking like, I can't believe this person has not asked for a pay rise yet, you know? So it's important to keep this in mind because there are some companies that that don't offer it straight away. Yeah, exactly. Also, you know, work in like position that can get like commission or bonus. It can be a good thing to earn extra money based on performances. Yeah, exactly. Like those sales roles. Part of me wishes I went into sales, but it's okay. I'm, I'm happy with my path now. On this podcast. You say like and subscribe on the podcast. I do. I do indeed. I do indeed. So, Pablo, what's the next point? Side hustle. You know, you can always work your nine to five, but there is always time before your work, after your work. And there's like so many hours that you can do something else and earn extra money. Obviously, it doesn't mean that you're going to make so much money from the side hustle. And it's not, it's easier said than done. But there's many things that you can do, like, to earn extra money. And I think a, a good thing can be utilizing the skills that you already have as part of your job to make extra money outside of your nine to five. Yeah, exactly. And you can kind of turn it into a bit more like a hobby or a creative outlet for you. I think that you don't want to burn out, obviously. You don't want to be doing work that drains you. But if you choose a side hustle that you actually enjoy doing that feels like play, you, you could earn money on the side and it doesn't actually feel like work. Like for example, this podcast that you're listening to, this one started as a side hustle that we were just doing outside of our work hours, which didn't feel like work. It just felt like play. And now we've been able to turn it into our full-time jobs, which is just amazing because yeah, it, it honestly didn't feel like work and it still doesn't. I still feel very lucky. So thank you so much for listening and for helping us get to this point. We really appreciate you. Yeah, exactly. I think yeah, keeping as play, you know, you want to have fun in everything that you do. And what thing we do every single week to make sure that we keep enjoying making content and doing all these things is reviewing the week, seeing what we enjoy doing and we want to keep doing, what we did not enjoy doing and, and what we can do about this. So are we going to get rid of it, delegate it? 
do something else about it so we can make it more fun or more present. And that way, every single week gets better. Very, very good point. And the next point is to create an emergency fund of three to six months of living expenses. I know this is a lot of money to have saved. So if we take that example of the emergency fund, if you have $30,000 in your emergency fund with a 5% interest rate, that's $1,500 per year just in interest, which is really amazing, just basically by having your money stored there. And if you would like to check out Ubank, you can use my code Queenie30 and you can get $30. Nice. That's pretty good. $30. Free money, right? Yeah, exactly. So what's the next point, Pablo? Next point after people get their $30 is to invest regularly. Yes, very, very good. And how can people get started? Well, nowadays, the good thing is that it's so much easier to invest than it was before. You know, before you had this like weird, complicated website that you get like spreadsheet and you need to understand what you invest in and all this stuff. And now people can literally invest with a little bit of money and diversify their portfolio with like great ETF that are available. Yeah, exactly. So nowadays, as you heard from the beginning of our podcast, we have invested $350 in our small change portfolio. Back in the early days, you could not invest $350. You would need thousands of dollars to start investing and you would pay hundreds of dollars in fees. But nowadays, it's so much cheaper and so much easier to get started investing. There are heaps of apps on the market. Some ones that you can check out are Perla, which is the one that we use regularly to invest. There's also Sharesies, there's Rays, there's Spaceship, there's Superhero, Self-Wealth. There are so many different apps and brokers out there. It's really important that you just have a look through them, see which one is right for you. We've also made a video about some of the best investing apps and brokerages, which you can check out in the show notes. And we've also created a free investing cheat sheet, which you can also download in the show notes too. Basically, what's important is literally just doing it regularly, you know, because no matter whatever you invest, like as long as it's like pretty safe and reasonable, it's going to grow consistently based on past performance. Obviously, it's not guaranteed, but you know, over like 10, 30, 50 years, that's going to be like regular average out the, the growth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think it is it is good to try and invest small amounts of money at the beginning because that can help you build the habit and then you won't be as scared to invest bigger amounts as you start to build your wealth even more. Yeah, really good episode, Kunit. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Thank you so much. And don't forget to follow this podcast and rate us five stars. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. See you. Bye. Bye. 